Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Optive Theology Podcast. My name is Andy Schmidt, and I am going to be here with Nick Gibson, and we are back with another episode. This episode is a unique kind of bonus episode. Again, same with the last one, which was the Christmas bonus episode. Um, a couple weeks ago, Nick and I were recording the What is Essential podcast, and we talked for about three hours, and the first half of it we talked really about what is essential, and then in the last half of it we talked a bunch about all different things, theology, politics, government, sports, the NBA, LeBron James, and so um, we just kept recording and kept talking about a bunch of different things, um, philosophy and, and all these different interesting topics, and so this is about an hour and a half, hour and 20 minutes of that conversation that I've cut out, cut out and we decided that we're going to let you guys all listen to it. And so this is kind of a bonus episode. Um, but if people like this, let me know because we could do more of these types of bonus episodes in the future. So, um, here it is. I hope you enjoy. But I want to give you a quick chance just to say, because I think I'm not sitting on the podcast with Lacey. So I people, I talked to some people and they're frustrated with your answer on specifically abortion. And that like, I understood what you're saying, that like the Roman, the Roman Empire was imperializing people in horrific, terrible ways. And Jesus was still like, you know, pay, pay your taxes and mm-hmm. people were being murdered and killed. So the argument would be like, hey, even if the result of paying your taxes is the abortion of babies you should probably still pay your taxes although in america we have the unique responsibility to and responsibility and opportunity to potentially change those policies in Mm -hmm. rome they didn't have that opportunity because they weren't in a democracy yeah yeah i I just think that the logic that the government does evil things therefore i have no obligations to it is just it's too simple by half (laughs) like listen i believe that i so let me be clear about abortion i believe Abortion is an unmitigated horror. It is the dismembering. It is a euphemism we use for the dismembering and murder of children in the womb. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like, I, I have no problem yeah. being extremely straightforward on what abortion is. Right. We lie to ourselves even by calling it abortion. It mm-hmm. is infanticide. It is the dismemberment of children and the poisoning of children in the womb mm-hmm. to their deaths. Mm-hmm. It is the destruction of our heritage. It is the annihilation of one of the most precious gifts that human beings can can engage in and receive from God. It is horrific and it is the greatest injustice of our time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. There, there's no way to frame racism so that, or climate change or something so that it is anywhere close to the, the most horrific injustice of our time that we have control over. Yeah. Because we could, we could not have abortion. We, we did that for a long time in this world. Mm-hmm. Overcoming global poverty is something we have to work at and we're doing better, yeah. but it's it's not something that we, we could just, you can't just abolish poverty. Yeah. You can stop engaging in infanticide, mm-hmm. right? So global poverty might be a larger issue yeah. because a lot of kids starve every day too. Maybe a more complex issue. But it's more complex, right? Yeah. And it's not something that can be simply abolished by just stopping right. doing it. You can't stop doing poverty. Yeah. You can stop dismembering children, yeah. right? So the, the problem though is, is that all societies have profound evils in their governance. Mm-hmm. They always have. They probably always will. Yeah. And but yet the citizens of those countries must have obligations to the larger society. Yeah. Right. Both mm-hmm. to obey the laws and right. to make the contribution necessary for mm-hmm. the furtherance of the common grace of the government. So I think the idea that like if the government does something as bad as abortion or any other really terrible thing mm-hmm. that we 
no longer obligated to pay our taxes, mm-hmm. I think is probably false. Mm-hmm. You could, what I mean, I suppose as a Christian, you you could engage in some kind of protest, and I don't know that that would be immoral. Mm-hmm. But you, if you were going to protest relative to your taxes, I think what you have to do is you'd have to look at the federal budget. Mm-hmm. You'd have to find out how much of the federal budget was given towards abortion. Mm-hmm. And then you'd have to just talk that proportion from your taxes and then tell the government you weren't going to pay it for that reason. And I think what you'd find it would be it would be less than 1% of your taxes, mm-hmm. and probably the government wouldn't care and wouldn't come to get you. Um, but yeah. I think you could do that. But I think that, uh, I think it's a, I think it, I don't want to say it's a cop-out because that's attacking their psychology. I think it's mistaken hmm. to think that if a government does evil things that you have no obligations right, to. Right, because if you're going to do that with abortion, then you should do it with... There's everything else that you think oh, yeah. is evil, which is probably everything else in the entire right. Just, I mean, just the fact that the government spends yeah. money that it doesn't have is immoral. Yeah, right, right. Like, is, is so, taxes stealing? Like, that would be like you'd. Yeah, I if, mean, if your answer to that is yeah, yes, I, don't I, pay taxes. Okay, so I'm not a libertarian in that sense that I believe taxes are inherently stealing. No, I, I don't think so either. I think some forms of taxes are stealing, and I think that probably a lot ta- of. Them I think that taxes. The way uh, people who are progressive often defend taxes, they do so without a limiting principle. Mm-hmm. So that in principle, the government could tax you 100% of your income and it would it would be just as moral as if they taxed you 1%. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is too... Um, I don't think that that is a constrained enough view of the morality of taxation relative to government. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's important to recognize. Mm-hmm. But I... But that, that that's very difficult because, like, our founding fathers rebelled over a three cent tax, right? Yeah. So, I where that, do you draw that's the where, line. There. Yeah, that. Yeah. So, where you draw the line, I think, is a difficult moral question. Yeah. But I think the way progressives often defend taxation, there is no limiting principle. And where right. the way libertarians often do it is, the limiting principle is all taxation is confiscation. Well, and I think that I don't want to get too deep into the weeds here, but like, it is interesting the more that I'm learning about economics and that, like, you like tax like. You're, they're printing, so every 30 days right now, the U.S. dollar loses 1% of its value, which is like, which should be like a national crisis, even mm-hmm. though like the U.S. dollar is backed by nothing other than the promise of the United yeah. States compared yeah, to Yeah, they're still, I mean, they're, they're still holding out the hope that some of that inflation is is um, pandemic-based, ba- right? Well, it was for, it's 40% of all U.S. dollars were printed in the last 12 months. That's, that's, the, that's the statistics. Like yeah. that's crazy. That, that is crazy. That's messed up. That's not good. Yeah. And well, yeah, you just look at gold prices in cryptocurrency, right? I mean, well, people are, yeah. I, yeah. Point. Listen, I have, I have for years, I mean, long before the president Biden. Okay. Like, yeah. like back with the Bushes, mm-hmm. I was criticizing American monetary theory. I think it's insane. Since 1971, since Nixon. Um, I, so I don't think that I would argue for a gold standard, but I would, what would, yeah, what would you say? But what I, what I would say is, is that, the monetary policy of the United States can't be political. And it, it most definitely is. Sure. There's no question that the amount of dollars we're printing has mm-hmm. to do with our federal budget, which is political. Mm-hmm. So if, if you could have a, like a monetary group of like philosopher kings or something that were like, okay, we're going to expand the money supply by 4% this year. Mm-hmm. And then you had Congress spending like, like undead banshees. Yeah, right. And those were not connected to each other, mm-hmm. right? then that would make sense. And that should have been the case because, and the reason is, is that we don't follow our constitution. No, right. Because of Hamilton versus Jefferson. What I mean by that in this particular case, just Mm -hmm. is that the president isn't supposed to be a legislator. Right. When presidents have quote legislative agendas, Mm -hmm. it's fundamentally unconstitutional. Like the the president is supposed to have a legislative agenda. The legislature is supposed to have a legislative agenda. Therefore the president should be telling his appointees to our monetary system. Right. Don't pay any attention to Congress. Right. Well, and, and like, 
but they but they can't do that because the right. president is legislatively political. Mm-hmm. So they put people in power that will engage in monetary yes. actions that will increase liquidity in relationship mm-hmm. to congressional spending, which is out of control. Well, that's, and all of that is fundamental. So to bring it back, yeah. all that's fundamentally immoral. So do I get to stop paying taxes because that's fundamentally immoral? And my answer is no. Well, that start that started with it was it was interesting. It started with Hamilton and Jefferson debating oh, yeah. the federal banking oh, system. Oh, it goes and way back. Hamilton was like, "Well, the this will work." Then the word "necessary." They, they were arguing oh, over yeah. the like specific word "necessary" yeah. in the tenth Ham- amendment. Hamilton's argument was that we needed a bank, not that a, a bank, need, yeah. because he loved what they were doing in uh, what was it, Britain? Well, in t- I mean, to defend Hamilton, it is true that by doing that, mm-hmm. it has certain economic and international benefits. Right. I mean, that's true. The problem is. And, 25 people run the federal banking. And, and right. The, federal the, the bank, problem is, is that can any fallen human being be trusted with this? And clearly the answer is no. Yeah. Just like the, the human beings couldn't be trusted with the social security, like, <laughs> yeah. pe- like plans. Yeah. Like, yeah. so, and, and Congress isn't very good at putting, putting Christian caveats in laws for depra- human depravity. Yes. That's yeah. Exactly. And, and human beings under pressure just don't have backbones to say, no, we can't spend within the social security fund. Right. No, we can't spend twice as much money right. as receipts from taxation. Right. And no, we can't give money to people who dismember children. Yeah. This like, is why, yeah. But I don't think that the result of that for the, the average Christian right. citizen is that we just stop paying our taxes. This is why people love Bitcoin because mm-hmm. Bitcoin fundamentally like stops you from spending more than you can because there's only a finite. There's amount. only so many Bitcoins. Yeah. yeah. And bi- so Bitcoin does expand its money supply. Like there are more bitcoins every day, but it does it based Up on until a like twenty. It, but it does it based on a quotient 21. that can't change. Yes, it's twenty-one million bitcoin. That's that's all that will ever be mined by the year like twenty. Uh, it was like right. twenty-one forty or something. Right. So like in any cryptocurrency, you would want it to keep expanding its money supply. You want an expansion of the money supply yes. because otherwise, like um, uh, this is like a different podcast. I don't know if you're cut this into different things, but, like, but Milton Friedman <laughs> argued that one of the reasons why the Great Depression was extended was because the United States didn't expand its money supply fast enough. Hmm. Because like the the market heated up, and then there was a deflationary effect because the money supply was too low, not mm-hmm. too high. So in order to fix that, we got new monetary policy. Mm-hmm. But now the monetary policy is is that we expand it to the expense of the, spend, the federal government. Yes, which right. is insane. Yeah, and so. Um, yeah, I don't know which devalues the actual currency exponentially. Yeah. And yeah, and when we get to the point where we're devaluing our currency even faster than Europe, then we're going to have problems. Then is that what we're doing right now? Is well, that... see, what, what the thing that had saved us for so long is we have devalued our currency a little bit slower than everybody else. Yeah. So our currency was still pretty good. Is it inevitable that you will always devalue currency no matter what? Like, or Throughout cur- the entire history of the world, every empire has devalued its currency. Like so, you can go back to Rome and you can show how over time the Romans kept melting down their silver coins and putting more lead in them. So are you, yeah. so are you, so are it's you happened like, the whole history of the world? Do you think that, so then are you pro Bitcoin? Like, are, are, do you think that Bitcoin can potentially like could solve the, the, that problem on, because it's, it's economically crypto. I'm pro all cryptocurrencies. Yes. Because right. I think, I think, so ulti- the other ones I, I think what, the, what reality is proving to us is that governments can't be trusted with monetary policy. I think that that's what it's proving to us. So then I think governments you... can issue. So if you go back to the 1800s, yeah. currencies were issued by banks in America that were not connected to the government. And you had l- numerous yeah. currencies. Right. We're just going back to that, essentially with cryptocurrencies. Yes. We're, right. re- we're reissuing money 
outside of the governmental system. And right. it's clear that, that that's can't necessary. Be regulated by government. The so so that what that does is the people who are issuing the currency, their only interest is the value of their currency. So is that what you would argue? The, the government case? has lots of other interests, but the value of its currency. Yeah. And those interests are affecting their monetary right. policy and so in detrimental ways. That's why they call it like freedom money. Bitcoin is yeah. freedom money because it just frees up the market from government regulation and spending right. that money that they shouldn't spend. Right. It, you know what you know it's going to be worth. It's 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 essentially it's always going to be worth the same. In amount. some ways, yeah. it's just they're just creating more gold. Yeah. Right. In a different kind of way. So is that your that would be your. If you had to set up your perfect monetary system, would that be what it would be? If I set up my perfect monetary system, or would it just be an exchange? The of government wouldn't be in control of the monetary system. Yeah, and it would just be the individual. Like it would be extremely libertarian. Then, like as it, libertarian, it would you, be very libertarian. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't be libertarian in taxation. The government would still decide how many bitcoins you owe them. See, but how can they? How can they enforce that unless they enforce it physically? Like so, they, no, they, I, I think I think the government could say you owe me this much asset this is the taxation level we're setting you can pay that with 25 bitcoins or two million american dollars when, when, yeah, when the dollar yeah, is right yeah, yeah. like you owe me this much money but they don't control the value of the currency right because the government Which will limit them to, to, to spending only what they actually can because they can't they can't they can't increase they the can value. only spend what they can what they can squeeze out of us squeeze right? out and what you're going to squeeze out of people or what who, they can or what they can. so there's three ways the government can get money right it can take it from us mm -hmm. it can um get debt yeah right and it can print money right so we would just be taking away the print money they could yeah. still get debt and they can still squeeze it out of us yeah but i think that it'd be much harder when there's only a finite amount like people have like Right. Used to the idea well, that you maybe ten percent of Americans understand monetary policy. Maybe nah, maybe one percent. Yeah. So because only like what maybe one or to five percent of Americans understand monetary policy, the government can utilize the money printing thing as much as it wants right. to. Yeah. If you took that away, then what they would have to do is they'd have to maximize their debt. But the right. debt would get crazy quick, and so then people would be like, "What the frick are you doing?" Mm -hmm. What what I would <laughs> yeah. what I what I would love to see is a balanced balanced budget amendment. I would love to see the government not be able to spend more money than it takes in. Full stop. And that's, Unless Congress de literally declared war and had an openly declared war, and it could only be a military war in which we fight with weapons trying to kill other people, not yeah, a war against poverty or war against drugs, yeah. right? Right. That because that's the yeah, only yeah. Because then they'll use the rhetoric that yeah. Right. And I realize things. that that has liabilities. Like like Democrats would say that has so many liabilities it'll contract the economy. <coughs> blah, blah, blah. And I think that they, it would, but I think it that it's better. It would contract the economy okay. because the money supply wouldn't be fluid. But I I think that I think that the government the market would regulate pretty quick. Yeah. Right. It's kind of like under Calvin Coolidge, we had a great depression. It just only lasted eight months. Right. Because he did nothing. And so the, <laughs> the, the market just regulated itself really fast. And we were right back to the roaring 20s. Well, that was it. Because when I was a kid and I was in high school, the public schools and people don't talk about this, but the, the, well, the public schools are teaching kids like if you if the, if you get into a recession mm -hmm. or a depression, what's the economic answer they, they would tell you to throw money into the economy right. like that's what they say to do that's keynesianism that's course. the right. dumbest thing i've ever heard in my life well see keynesianism works if nobody knows about it see this is the problem like there are some yeah. things that work psychologically if nobody so like if nobody knows about keynesianism mm -hmm. and you pump money into the economy and things mm -hmm. seem to be going better People go, oh, things are going better. And then they act like things are going better. And that gets them going. The problem is everybody who knows what to do with their money understands Keynesianism now. Yeah. And, the, and the press tells everybody because they have to, right? So now all of us know when the government is pumping money in the system. It's like QED1, right. like, right? And so we're like, oh, we need to be careful because this is all fake. Right. So now everybody knows that the fake thing is fake. Mm -hmm. And so you're like, oh, so it's fake. Yeah. So this, 
this doesn't mean the economy is doing better. So the psychological yeah. effect Keynesianism is supposed to have doesn't happen right. because essentially the people who know what to do with money have all been vaccinated against it. So we're not susceptible to it anymore, yeah. right? So it fails to work, but it doesn't fail to produce debt. So what's really happening governmentally is the QEDs and these money expansions are actually used to increase government spending so the, that you can tell your constituency yeah. that you did all these cool things. And down like so in 2008 with the, the recession and then the, the car, the, the car company bailouts, mm -hmm. the what would you say the best idea there is to just allow the companies or the, the, the companies that are going to die, let them die and let this thing run its course and okay so there's yes but there's a caveat to that so like i think it was in 1982 that we did some of the first big banking bailouts because of a crisis in mexico and since then we've been inflation sending, like we, just skyrockets in the 80s it's like 10 percent or something like it's like 10 to 70s 50. yeah 70s and 80s it started yeah. yeah so but so here's the problem is we have set this precedent that we're going to bail you out for a long time yeah to just all of a sudden not do that without any warning i think would probably be detrimental mm -hmm. so i think what we would have to do is we would have to like announce you know we're not going to bail anybody out anymore. Yeah. So instead of like Bear Stearns, we're not bailing you out. Yeah. What you have to do is you have to say, okay, we're changing our policy. Yeah. From now on, we bail nobody out. Mm -hmm. So because what happens is all these companies that are planning on getting bailouts, if something yeah. happens, they are they are incredibly leveraged and they're right. doing that. The reason the government wants them to do that is because it expands the economy. They're, mm -hmm. they're highly leveraged, putting money out into the economy so that we can make money, so that right. the economy can expand, so everybody can yeah. be richer. The and problem is, is that like an essential they're company. not yeah. prepared for right. a downturn. Yes. So if a downturn happens, they're bankrupt. Yeah. Except that the government bails them out. Yes. Now in a lot of these government bailouts, only if they're important enough. A the lot of these government bailouts, the government does get their money back. Like yeah. a lot of Democrats will say, "Hey, but the car companies in, in some of these banks, they paid the government back. They're paying the government back." Mm -hmm. So it was essentially a crisis loan. It wasn't really a bailout. Okay, but the problem is, is that they didn't bail out everybody. So the smaller banks didn't get bailed out. Right. So now we have all these huge conglomerate banks and, and, mm -hmm. and some Democrats are like, hey, it's not good that all we have is our big banks. Well, here's the problem, y'all. In 2008, you bailed out the big banks and not the little ones. Right. So the little ones went out of business or were bought up by the big yes. banks. What actually happened in some cases was the government regulators took the banks from the little guys, gave them to the conglomerates <laughs> and then bailed out the conglomerate and because they're easier to regulate yes, that way. Right. Well, it turns out then you don't have any small banks. Right. <laughs> like, which is the, which is counter Democrat. Right. Because which means they, they're now, like, they hate the big government. They hate right? the, or not big government. They hate the big corporations. The big corporations. Yeah. Right. But the policies of yeah. oversight that Democrats really want produces, produces big, big conglomerate business because yeah. that's the only way you can, you can regulate. And they all have to people. work with those people. Right. And the, which and produces a conglomeration of business with government, which oligopoly. is cronyism and oligopoly. Right? Yes. So even though Democrats Illuminati. say they want that, but, yeah. but Republicans have in many cases acted similarly yeah. and they've certainly gone along with it. Right. So I don't put it just at the fall of Democrats, but I do think that no. there's a contradiction right. in the, in the economic philosophy of progressivism, yeah. which is a huge problem. I think it's utterly unworkable. Yeah. Um, and unsustainable and leads to just the downfall mm -hmm. of, so you think how, how long do we have left as a country? Well, see, I and I don't put this. Once you fall I don't have a timetable for that. It does look bad right now, though. I mean, the levels of spending just keep increasing exponentially. Uh, what was the bill that was just passed? It was a one point five trillion dollars of yeah. the Biden's Build Back Better. Yeah, and I, we don't I have can't. one. We don't have any of that. I, yeah, so COVID has really become the like, don't let a crisis go to waste. I mean, just the spending Absolutely, has been incredible. Yeah. Um, Republicans have not really fought it that hard, though. No, um, which has shown kind of the like. 
So I would I would argue from on the right as well as the yeah. left is like they, they well they, I, they go out and they claim that they hate these policies but and I, they don't do anything. Sadly, about. I would say though that this demonstrates a lack of integrity democratically in the populace of America. Yeah, it's our fault. Yeah, we oh yeah, yeah we yeah. don't give a crap. Yeah, we tell our we tell our our politicians we want like good governance and then we tell them to spend money we don't have. On right. Us. Yes. And the people who are the most guilty of this are the middle class. Hmm. Almost every policy in America takes from the rich and the poor and gives to the middle class, hmm. right? Like social security is a good example. Poor right. people pay into it for more years and then they die earlier. Like, <laughs> like white people who get master's degrees, mm -hmm. they don't start paying social security till later. And then they live seven years longer, mm -hmm. right? Like that whole thing is set up for us. Yeah. Same thing with like government loans for schooling and all that kind of stuff. White people who can, or, or educated middle-class people, whatever race you are, mm -hmm. who can deal with complexity, get all the benefits, yep. right? Like even like HSAs, like, like medical spending accounts that are tax free. Right. They have a, like a bunch of paperwork, a bunch of complexity built into them. Right. Well, the people who can deal with complexity, right? Like uh, John Goldberg says, complexity is a subsidy. Mm -hmm. Like the people who can handle complexity, get free money from the government because we can do the complex things to get the government to give us money. Right. Right. Yeah. And so um, almost well, all these Tesla programs are would for be us. A, a, an example of that, right? Mm -hmm. The complexity of, of electric vehicles and mm -hmm. then well and the, the green energy movement yeah like well what, elon musk got the government to pay for all that stuff yeah. and and yeah, yeah i love Elon like musk. and like I like kind was, of brilliantly but yeah <laughs> but at the same time like people have made fun of him for like being on the government's like dole basically yeah and but he what he recognized was the government would pay for this yeah and he and he and he used that to his advantage which is yeah. where i don't think like yeah it's stupid that the government i think it's bad that. policy but i think it was a shrewd action on his i would part. do the same thing if, if I knew the government would give me money, why not take it and build a, yeah. an I mean, there's the same thing with the oil guys in Texas who like decided to build the huge wind farms because the government <laughs> would pay for it, you know? Yeah. yeah. But like, but like, I don't, I mean, I like to blame people who I think are nuts on different sides of the aisle or in the yeah. news. Usually it's the news. I, the, the media people just really drive me nuts, mm -hmm. but, but it comes down to us. We suffer these people. Yeah. And not enough of us say this is bull crap. Yeah. I would never do this in my home and budget. And they don't say it because they don't know it. Because they're not being taught it. It's like the big, the 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 triad is, well, Scott Jensen calls it the triad of big government, big tech, and big pharma. And that these, like, big government makes up the public school system and that kids don't actually understand. We, like, people are coming out, they like, don't understand any of it. Like, they don't even, they can't comprehend it. So they can't make a decision. They can't, they, like, it mm -hmm. is our fault. But in in some ways, my generation seems more, and I'm not a victim guy, but we seem more of a victim as we like literally don't know because we've never been taught any of these things economically. We have no idea what the, I just learned that the U.S. dollar is backed by the promise of the United States, which me that doesn't that doesn't really mean like great, like you know, like there's like it was gold and now it's nothing, so I can't turn it in for anything. I can't. Yeah, well, I mean, in 1947, the backing of the promise of the United States really meant something in the world, you know. Well, right. Yeah. We had just and, beat and the Nazis yeah. and the Japanese. Yeah. And when the world was looking for a currency by which to do business, what promise could possibly be better than be better America's? Than yeah. And the answer was no, no one's. Right. And uh, I mean, I, I mean, maybe into the present, but onto, onto the very recent past, mm -hmm. I think the United States had one of the most stable currencies in the world. Yeah. Even though it was a fiat currency, it still was a stable currency. Yeah. I don't, I don't think you have to have a currency backed by gold to be a stable currency. I, I think but it's you can be backed fiat, by something you can, finite, correct? Yeah, but it could be backed by the strength of your economy and your cash flow as a country. But isn't the economy, isn't the currency a representation of, of the economic, 
like like the currency it's it's a representation of the country's, of the country's the, wealth in a way because yeah. as the country's wealth increases the you you expand the money and supply and the country's wealth is represented through currency in a way yeah so then how could you so then wouldn't that it, just be a circular you have to have enough dollars so that the wealth of the country can be adequately traded based on the token yeah. of the money yes right? right so if we if if the if the if the, all the wealth of america was let's say and this is of course Way, 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 way less than it is. Let's mm-hmm. say it was two billion dollars. This is essential, right? Is you, you would need to have. Yeah. You would need to have. You would want to have something like two billion yeah. in currency in circulation, so that that those two billion in wealth can be can be traded. Yes, right. It, it wouldn't be that much, but it would be a certain percentage of that two billion. Yes, right? right. But if we expanded our wealth to like fifteen billion, we'd have to produce more money because you'd have to have more tokens of exchange relative to the wealth of the country. So right? as po- the population grows, generally that that happens. Because yeah. because as we as we grow in productivity as human beings we yeah. produce more wealth yeah and then as if money is the token of our trading of that wealth right. we have to have more of it otherwise what happens to is, represent the wealth. otherwise what yeah. happens is one dollar becomes worth two dollars becomes yes. worth four dollars becomes yeah. worth seven dollars the, the and it becomes very rare to get it and then right it becomes what's called deflationary yeah right and so you want your one dollar note to be worth a certain amount yes right. and so you expand your money supply so it holds that only value. relative to the the amount of wealth because you don't want your one dollar bill to be worth two dollars you want yeah. to be worth one dollar one so right. as wealth expands and then therefore a dollar is a rarer thing, right. its value goes up to $2. So mm-hmm. you print more dollars so it goes back down to $1. Yes. What happens is is that the government actually does too much and from worth, $1 it goes down to 70 cents yeah. or 60 cents. Well, that's worth, what's happening right now. Worth $1 meaning like so what's, what's, just what yeah. we think is so $1 worth right of something. So right now is worth like you know 10 cents. So like, if, yeah. like so for yeah. so for example, when I was a kid, gas was thirty five cents. Yeah. Right. And now it's like three dollars. When I was last year, two years ago, it was ninety nine cents. Yeah. <laughs> so so now it's three dollars. Yeah. So yeah. like in in a way, gas hasn't really changed yeah. all that much. What's happened is the value of our dollar has changed a lot. Right. Does that make sense? Now, in, in some ways, gas is cheaper than it was, and yet we're still paying three dollars. Yeah. Right. Because like yeah. during during like the gas crises, mm-hmm. it was still like forty cents. So why is it three dollars now? Yeah. And the answer is because our dollar is worth a tenth of what it was. Yeah, that's why. And that that idea, the the idea of like mm-hmm. what the dollar is worth. Is but just- see that over like fifty years, if we devalue our dollar stably, then the dollar is still counts as a dollar, and everybody knows what that means. Yeah. And I can make a decision business wise over the next five years based on that stable currency because it's changing predictably right. over time. Yeah. The problem is when you get what's called hyperinflation, where like the government just spends ungodly amounts, which is of what money. we're at right now. Is so that's the fear. That's the danger. Well, is wouldn't you say that the, the, the problem with hyperinflation is you don't get hyperinflation until you get it. Right. So yeah. everything's going fine until the roof comes off yeah. and it goes crazy. Yeah. And nobody knows when that's going to happen. So the problem is, is we're getting closer and closer to whatever that is. We don't know when it tips because the tipping is partly psychological, not just analytical. Yeah, that's an interesting part. How right. is it it's psychological? Because it's based on what people, people start freaking out. It's, yeah. Because what happens is like, let's say I'm, I'm selling like cars and you're selling yeah. bananas, right? Yeah. Like at some point you're like, this freaking money's getting out of control. I'm going to have to start charging a dollar per banana. And then I'm yeah. like, well, if you're going to charge a dollar per banana, I got to charge... Five thousand more dollars so for my car. To look at each other, and, and everybody starts out. raising their yeah. prices because they they they're like looking at all the stuff they have to buy, right. and it just kind of starts climbing, and then things just start getting out of control. Right. right. So so poli- so a lot of these politics is like how to keep people from flipping out, basically, like economically. Yeah, a lot of monetary out. policy is trying to is psychological in nature. That wasn't true until Keynesianism. Keynesianism um, made economics more psychological. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's detrimental because 
um, it plays a psychological game with us that we now understand. Yeah. And so it's lost. It's a, so it was essentially, I think Keynesianism is a placebo, right? Well, it's I like, don't know what placebo, uh, well, please, a placebo is like, a, like, like, for example, if I say, I'm going to give you a, like, you're depressed and I'm saying, I'm going to give yeah. you this pill. And when I give you this pill, you're not going to be depressed anymore. Mm-hmm. But the pill I give you is really just sugar. Right. Or it's some kind of, it tastes, it tastes, it tastes like medicine, but there's no pharmaceutical in it. Right. And so you take it and then because you took the pill, you think you're going to get better. Right. And so you feel better. Right. Mm -hmm. That's called the placebo effect. Yeah. Now the placebo Uh, effect is real, but it wears off. Yeah. Right. Right. If I keep giving you, but you're really depressed after a while, you'll, you'll feel better at first, but then you'll kind of go back to where you were. Yeah. You're going to realize this is that make sense. Yeah. I believe that, that having a financial influx in the economy of liquidity is a placebo effect. Yeah. Right. Especially. And, yes. But the problem is, is because we know about Keynesianism now, we know it's a placebo. Mm-hmm. So you're depressed. I'm like, I'm going to give you this pill. Mm-hmm. It's a placebo, mm-hmm. but you're going to feel better. You're yeah. like, wait, no, I'm not going to because I know it's a placebo. Right. 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 So for me, like personally, the way I governed my finances during all the quantitative easing was I got more conservative. Not I didn't yeah. spend more money. I saved more money. And then I took that money and I tried to invest it in things that would inflate with the dollar. So what are you doing now? Like, where, what are you investing? Are you going to just buy ammo? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> are you going to, are you going to invest into Bitcoin? Like I, I, like I, the only solution is, is like, if I can, I would, the, if I could, I would, I would buy hard assets that I know are going to inflate. So I wouldn't buy gold. Okay. What I, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. for example, I have guns. So yeah. I, I'm going to just, I'm going to buy more ammo than I need. I'm not going to stockpile it, You're but I'll, I'll just stuff. I'll just you... buy more than I need because I know it's going to get more expensive. Yes. I, I bought like $700 in lead. Because I make lead jigs, uh-huh. but lead is also a, a metal commodity, yes. so it'll raise in price. So you're just so buying just these essential things that everybody's mm-hmm. going to want to need at some point. And it's like right now it's going to be cheaper than what it's going to be down the line. Right. And so you can charge whatever you want at that yeah. point. And you can still at that point probably like undercut whoever is yeah. the main man. You can buy a bottle of whiskey. Yeah. Right. And but the, and that'll inflate as prices yes. inflate. And so right? just buy a bunch of stuff. So anything that's a commodity. Store. Right. Yeah. So and then there's also things you can do investment wise. You can invest against inflation. There are yeah. investments that you can make. So there are even mutual funds that you can buy that will right. invest against inflation. And what I would say to to believers who are going to be wise, mm-hmm. and let's just be really clear, I'm not a financial advisor, right? <laughs> is yeah. If you believe inflation is coming, then there are things that you can do to hedge against inflation. The problem is is that People don't know exactly when inflation is going to hit in mass. Yeah. And so if you if you invest for inflation, you lose all the money as the market climbs. Right. Because as that market climbs, it's betting against inflation mm-hmm. and you're losing all those gains. Yeah. So so that it's really demoralizing because you like invest in gold, but gold has actually gone down a little bit recently instead of going way up. Gold isn't yeah. going to go through the roof until hyperinflation hits right. and then it'll go through the roof. But until mm-hmm. then, it's actually, if you it's actually deflating yeah. a little bit, which right. means it's a good buy. It's a great buy, yeah. If hyperinflation is coming but well, the, generally speaking it would just be a good buy anyways because hyperinflation will come well that's the assumption in- inevitably well you say inevitably but we've historically hist- well historically in the united states we've always been able to stave it off we've had inflation as much as sure. 10 or 11 percent but yeah, we've never yeah. had hyperinflation so oh yeah okay. I, so i think if we get if we get inflationary pressures to get us to 11 to 18 percent the american public is going to flip out on the government which i think is at like three or four percent right now so yeah pretty far away from that yeah. Yeah. And, yeah and and so some things are inflating like 10 percent, but like overall inflation is fairly low yeah. and so the problem is is that the government is a lot of people in government are still saying that our inflation is based on supply chains right now. 
Which there's a problem there. Yeah, there are problems. So there's some truth to that. Right. And and the economy is a little off because of COVID. We don't know exactly right. how everybody's going to behave. Right. So there's some truth to that, mm-hmm. right? How much is the question? And we won't know until COVID is, quote, over, whatever that even means. Which isn't going to happen because there's going to be a new variant every right. Friday. Every, every 10 days, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so... And that's going to affect everything. And Right. Know. But at some point, public policy will have to accept that COVID is endemic, not pandemic. That is that it's with us. It's going to be with us forever. Yeah. And so yeah, we have yeah. to come up with policies for a disease that's going to be with us as opposed to something we're trying to, quote, get rid of. And to think that that's going to happen, is I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think that they're going to accept that. That it's endemic. Yeah. I, they won't in this administration. I don't think while Biden is president that will happen. No, yeah. But I do think in the next administration, I think, I think the, the endemic next. nature of COVID will be part of the next election cycle. That it'll be part yeah. of how the rhetoric of the presidential candidates will yeah. talk. And I think that may even be true in the upcoming congressional cycle this next year. The 2022 I would think uh, so. midterms? I would think so. Because yeah. people are super yeah, yeah, tired yeah. of this. I mean, yes. people are starting yeah. to flip out in Australia. Right. Um, and so... Significantly flip out in Australia. Yeah. Like, and, and, and they have much more reason to because their government has been much more draconian. Well, then you saw what Germany just did. They, they well, you know what Devin said who lived in Australia? Yeah. He said the reason he thinks this is happening is not because Australians aren't good communalists because yeah. he's like Australia's just way more communal than America right because um, Captain Cook chained criminals together and then sent them out in the bush mm-hmm. and you had to work together or you had to drag around a dead body that was chained to you you know right. what I mean like they just they're a more communal society yeah but his argument was what happened was is the government kept screwing up the immigration quarantine system so the people like were killing COVID by being in absolute quarantine they were and then the thing. government would screw up people coming into the country, which would create a pocket of yeah. disease and then they'd right. all have to shut down again. And it, so they yeah. kind of lost faith in the government right. being able to do that so they could keep it off the island. Yeah. But what are they, are they going to do like $15,000 quarantines for everybody who comes to Australia, the rest of everybody's life, no. the rest of the existence of Australia? No. I just don't see how that can be the case. I don't know. So anyway, I think, I think Americans are getting kind of sick of being told what to do, yes. even though we're not in quarantine and we're functioning fairly normally. Which is actually a little bit of hope that says like there's a little bit of morality left in right. the and, American and, spirit. And like in Dane County, it's kind of annoying to keep wearing masks, but we're the only ones doing it. Nobody else oh in Wisconsin goodness. is wearing masks. Nobody else in the freaking country is wearing masks yeah. like i come back here and i'm like are you kidding me i was at the the library the the yeah. university library last night hanging out with spencer and, and this lady comes by is like if you're not eating or drinking put your mask on I, yeah. I don't even have a mask i'm not gonna put a mask on you can kick me out and i was like just are you kidding like i'm in minnesota i'm in minneapolis very liberal minnesota's yeah. the only state that didn't vote for reagan it's just the as liberal as it gets they're not doing mask mandates anymore i mean that that ship has sailed so i'm wondering yeah. where's the <laughs> Well, I I think I think it'll turn when the young people decide they don't want to wear masks anymore. When people under 35 say, look, I'm not doing this. I'm just sick of it. When do you think? I don't know. I do not know. I don't understand their psychology. I don't understand. Uh, yeah, it. I don't know. I, 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 they don't make sense to me. I'm old. I'm old now that like when you're, you're old, when you're like the young people don't make sense. Like I'm old. Uh, I don't know if any generation would think that our generation makes sense. Like I think our generation could be maybe the one before the one that's just too far gone. <laughs> this is nuts that they're like no, just I, willing to do these things. I you're think, just I think there'll it. be a reaction. Especially if there's a, like some major economic crises. I think there'll be, there'll be a reaction. They don't understand what the economy is. I think they'd be so confused by the time that we understood what was going on. It would just be like too late, man. Like you can't do anything about it. I just yeah, don't I mean, think I do think with like d- delaying forming families and stuff like that, it def- it delays some of these like the things. So there there used to be things that were like you'd be like more open minded as a young person, more more liberal, small L. Yeah. And then when you got married, 
and you like started working and you started paying taxes. You become more conservative. You tend to become more yeah. conservative just because you have all these re- realities you're responsible yeah, for. And it's right. not about other people. It's right. about like how you're going to live your own yeah. life. And you're like, you're not taking my money. I got to right. pay for my kids' diapers. Right. Yeah. And you, you realize like everything you do affects your wife. Everything she does affects you. And you're like, right. wait, you have to live a certain way. This has yeah. to like all function. Like, this we is have to, real. Like right. life's not about me. Yeah. yeah. And it doesn't necessarily make you like a Republican. It just makes you like more conservative too. Generally. And it gives you this yeah. like a little bit more balanced view yeah. of life. Yeah. And but, but like if you delay that, if you just like, you have like a job that doesn't pay too much. You're not really building your career. You're right. playing a lot of video games. You're screwed around watching football. Like <laughs> that doesn't get you anywhere. Right. If you're smoking dope, playing video games and banging hoes, that doesn't produce <laughs> yeah. like, you know what I mean? And yeah, I know but the, plenty well, of end? guys that who's 28 or 33 and doing that. that. Is that going to end though? It seems like that. I don't know. It seems like the time that people are having kids keep getting later well, and see, later and see, later the, and later. As Jordan Peterson has said numerous times, um, People don't realize the loss of not having children usually until they're in their fifties. Yeah, and they and, regret it right, and they and that, hate like, it. Um, Phyllis Schlafly wrote about this in her book, um, Feminine Delusions, where she talked about how like there's the, a whole age of I, I think she was criticizing second wave feminism that all these women were like, look, having kids doesn't matter. Like you need to win in the business world and you don't need men. We need men as much as a fish needs a bicycle and all that kind of stuff. Right. And then some of those women got into their fifties and they're like, oh dear God, what did I do? Yeah. They realized they weren't going to have grandchildren. Yeah. They realized they only had one kid when they really wanted four. And there was nothing for them. And they and to their carry fertility their... was long gone. Yeah. And they were so angry. Right. And um, and who are they angry at themselves? See, that's the thing. Society. Right? Like, I, like who who are they going to be angry? So what what um what Peterson says is that for most women, even high capacity women, through their like thirties and stuff, they're pretty. They can be pretty focused on their careers. But by the time you get into your later forties and your fifties and your sixties. All that matters is your kids and your grandchildren. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you still right. work. A lot of these women still work. Yeah. But we say, what makes you happy? What do you enjoy? What do you yeah. think about? What do you love? They're like, well, my kids, my family, right. my kids and my grandkids. Yeah. And if you don't get married and have them in your twenties, yeah. you don't have those things in your fifties and your sixties. But you, but there's that like innate natural desire for that. And you're like, right. where is this thing? Right. That, that's been- the, that's the great tragedy of the, there being sexes is that you can create like, for example, income inequality between men and women in their twenties yeah. and thirties mm-hmm. at the cost of women having what they want in their fifties and sixties. Exactly. Right. And, and that's the terrible thing. The great mm-hmm. equalizer of that used to be marriage that yes. your income and your wife's income right. weren't equal, but they went into an equal bank account that you right. both used. And, and marriage was the great equalizer. And it makes income or money. The, the primary focus of life right. generally. And that's not the, that's not really the case. Which women don't believe, not just in relationship to having children, but women tend to go after jobs they find meaningful. And men tend to go after jobs that, that pay more money that pay more because money. they want to be chosen by women who make their choices on the basis of status. Right. And money <laughs> is status. And, women, and they want yeah. to cho- they want a woman to choose them. Women are generally more interested in people and men are more interested in things. Generally and, that, speaking. And, that's, and that's why things generally make more money than like the social work, like the social social working like sp- being a school right. teacher or or whatever like yeah uh, well and a lot work, of the a lot of the most dangerous jobs are jobs with things yeah so working yeah. on oil derricks and in like yeah. drilling in the northern tundra right. and all that kind of crap right. that's all that dangerous stuff even like yeah. fishing boats yeah being a live working right. on a fishing boat for for salmon right. Right. or for king crabs that's those are all dangerous jobs and yeah. they tend to be jobs with things yeah the, the working with people doesn't tend to be dangerous right you know, it's yeah. maybe it's like emotionally dangerous, emotionally but it's not dangerous. dangerous, yeah, dangerous. It's, it, yeah. So like, because you know, 90% of workplace deaths are, are men. Yeah. Of course that includes workplace in the military. Yeah. Right. Which is going to be skewed, but, but yeah, there's all those issues. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, these are all like, we got all kinds of issues, right? Yeah. So you're gonna have to cut this into podcasts.
I know that's all this stuff is, but yeah, but I, I do think that, so to to come back to like what we talked about, like in what it's probably gonna be the the last episode is just all this stuff does matter. Yeah. Right. And pursuing it with curiosity Mm -hmm. in the mind of Christ. Right helps keep you from being captured right. for one ideological view or another. It yeah. helps you look at it differently. Mm-hmm. It helps you listen to your neighbor, right? It helps mm-hmm. you not judge people in disputable yeah. matters, but still debate with them. Mm-hmm. It produces all kinds of goods, right? Right, And and it's something we have to pursue really passionately. Because right. yeah. these things are consequential. All yeah. these things are consequential. They will affect your life whether you like it or not. And it's really helped me personally to have more empathy and sympathy on people that I don't politically like politically and idea ideologically or philosophically agree with mm-hmm. because <clears throat> like I said in a previous episode that I was just on every conservative talking point was like, yep, I agree with it. Totally. 100% high I remember school. those days. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and then, and then, and then I actually went to like a Trump rally and realized these people are really stupid. Some of them. And well, some of them yeah. are really dumb and they actually don't care at all all about solving any issues it's just about complaining about what everybody else and it's the same people who get mad about victim mentality it's like it's like why why is candace owens the most annoying person to me i'm sorry because she always complains about victim mentality and she make in every she's always a victim in what she's saying and she doesn't see the hypocrisy or the like irony in that like one sentence she'll be like, we need to stop with victim mentality. And then the next she'll be like, the Democrats are ruining our lives. And there's nothing we can do about it. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. you just did the thing that you said that you hate to do. And you're not trying to solve any issues. You're stirring up, you're stirring the pot. You're all, like, and that's, that's great for Candace Owens because her, she makes money off stirring the pot. Like that's what yeah. she does. She talks. And it was funny to see her on Joe Rogan one time when he con- directly confronted her about um, climate change. Mm-hmm. And he was like, like, okay, so is global warming real? Like, is this a thing that is real? And she was like, no, it's absolutely, she was absolutely, this is not real. Climate change, global warming, it's bull crap. It's democratic propaganda. And he was mm-hmm. like, all right, why? And she was like, I, I it, it's real, Joe. It's, it's, or it's not real, Joe. She was like, but he was like, why? And he kept trying to say like, well, mm-hmm. tell me, give me scientific reasons. And she had none. She was just like, well, the reason why I think that it's not real is because Democrats say it is. That was her argument, and she looked like she looked like so dumb. Mm-hmm. I don't think Candace Owens is probably dumb. I think she's, she's not probably dumb. really smart. She's really smart. Yeah. But it's like you get stuck in your echo chamber, and you, right. and then the and then the one time that you have to you go don't know where your that, argument is weak, right? Because you're ne- you're not getting constantly tested. Yeah, and that's a tr- that's because of modern media, and the and the media, mm-hmm. the polarization of media, and the and the the deathly fear of debate yeah. in the United States. And well, it's you, also the reason why I learned five times as much as my colleagues when I went to a secular university as a Christian. Because you can... Because I was getting the crap beat out of me every something. day. Yeah, right. And they were just, they're swimming along with the stream. Yeah. Like, they're like, yeah. oh yeah, professor, I agree with that. And I'm yeah. like, I'm fighting everything. Yes. So either I'm learning why my view against theirs is correct because I'm fighting the, the best form of the argument. Yes. Or I'm correcting my view because they're actually right. Because you could potentially be wrong. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. and so I learned so much and it formed my arguments. Mm-hmm. They were crisper and I became a better debater and a better mm-hmm. researcher. Right. I was better at like, what's a fact? What mm-hmm. isn't a fact? Right. Where are the logical fallacies right. here? Mm-hmm. And a lot of my colleagues, because they were, they were like, oh yeah, I agree with Right. They just like they would just like regurgitated it, and you're like, dude, this is not helpful. You you become far more. That's I think that's why Shapiro and Jordan Peterson are so attractive to a lot of young men now, Mm -hmm. is because they become far more. These guys already know 
what the other side is thinking, especially Shapiro. Like he already knows now. Yeah. Sometimes he'll get caught up in the personal attacks. Like I'm, I'm, I'm sleeping on a million yeah. dollar. You know right. what he said. On yeah, the, on yeah, Bill that, Maher. yeah. But generally speaking, I think he's he's like he a stays on point steps as well as anybody. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's because he understands the other side rather than right. than yeah. Even that comment he made, Bill Maher, he was way more on point than the other guests. Yeah, yeah, like way more. On that point, point was the yeah. the the. the the money point has just said he's rich <laughs> kind of yeah. just took away from Absolutely. it took for some people. For me, I was like, that was sweet. Like, I mean, just cause that's how I am. It like his argument. If you take out that sentence was, obliterated the other guests, yeah. but he, yeah, that that's yeah. But that, that just goes to show that like, sometimes it's good to be the minority because you have to be yes. like dead on every second. Right. And it, it makes you strong. Yes. If it doesn't overwhelm right. and destroy you, it yeah. can really make you strong. Yeah. Um, Which is probably the <clears throat> central focus point of uh, one of the, big focus points of Christianity and how it's lasted yeah. as long as it has is yeah. that it's forced people to be the minority, which means you need to understand what you're saying yeah. so that you don't get killed. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to actually preach about this on Sunday, how part of being God's people is to recognize that the world is going to attack you. Yes. And like, you it, 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 it can be kind of a capacity. fine line between expecting persecution yeah. and having a victim mentality. Well, and you should, I, I think you should somewhat invite Because you can have a martyr complex too, though. Yes. You, can, you can just be like, yeah, but everybody hates me just because I'm good. And you're like, well, half of the attack is that you're being stupid. Yeah. And half of the attack is that you're being faithful. Yes. So get rid of the stupid and keep, and the, keep faithful. the faithful. Yeah. And, and make the stupid more logical. And then you can maybe <laughs> turn some people, yeah. change some people's minds. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think, so that is part of Christian faith is that you're always going to be the minority. You're always going to be rejected by a certain kind of existence in creation, which is the mm -hmm. quote, the world or worldliness. Yeah. But that doesn't mean everybody who's not a Christian is going to be against you. Right. Right. It just means that there is a, everything that stands up against God mm -hmm. will be against you. Yes. And that's a good fight right. and it makes you better. So, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I, I'm, I, I lament that part, the catch, part <laughs> of the catch 22 of what you're getting at is that government's not supposed to be our religion. No. It's not supposed to be 70% yeah. of our life because then what happens is when it becomes our religion in 75 or whatever percent of our life, we all have to pay attention. Mm -hmm. And the thing is you can't, right? You can't pay attention. Right. It's like, it's like me paying attention to everything that's going on at Nike. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, well, like how the frick am I? Like yeah. I need shoes. Okay. I'm like we'll get shoes. I'll go to the yeah. store and if the Nikes are the best shoes, I will yeah. buy them. That's all I should have to know right. about Nike. Mm -hmm. The government should not be too much different than that. Right. Like, if you know, so which about, party is keeping yes. people from invading our country mm -hmm. and which people, which group is, keeping basic public order mm -hmm. and producing streets pretty well. Yeah. And that's the group I'll vote for. Yeah. That's all I should have to know. Mm -hmm. The idea that I could, I can like quote, be educated mm -hmm. on a corporate conglomerate of multi-trillion dollars with like a hundred <laughs> bureaucratic levels yeah. in 57 departments yeah. with is insane. It's yeah. literally impossible. Yeah. So all you do is believe somebody you yeah. flip through the cable channels and you just, you just believe somebody and the yeah. person you're going to believe because you know, nothing is the people that talk like you like, which I think this is why there's an order of operations in which you can, you sh Christians should understand things in that mm -hmm. you begin with the Bible. You don't begin with media, yeah. modern media or yeah. TV or whatever it is, because you then, you then everything that comes out of scripture like these things are all important things, like we just said. But they're everything that comes out of what you believe of the Bible, then makes itself it makes its way into what you believe about the rest of everything, rather right. than everything that you believe about what they say on Fox News right. makes itself into 
what you believe about the Bible. Right. And it's not like if you study the Bible, you'll know everything you need to do about government so that you can make the, per- you can vote perfectly. Yeah. What it, what it'll do is, is that it'll make you the kind of person who sniffs out who you should believe better. Mm-hmm. So that when Tucker Carlson shows a clip of somebody who's quote, a liberal crazy and the clip does not show what he says it shows, Mm -hmm. you aren't so committed to believing Tucker that even though he did not prove the argument he just made, Mm -hmm. you're just going to believe many way and get as outraged as he is. Yes. Right. I hate Fox news. I literally hate Fox news. There's nothing that pisses me off more than Fox news because I feel like that they have like CNN pisses me off, but I think they're really way too far gone. So whatever Fox news, I've seen old people, grandparents, they sit and watch Fox News all day and mm-hmm. complain about everything, and then they don't do anything. It'll ruin your happiness. It ruins everything. To watch that crap. There's, oh, absolutely. It ruins everything, and it and it actually doesn't produce people who actually want to care for other people, even Christians who are just obsessed with Fox. It's like there needs to be some sort of media, which is literally what I want Optive to be one day, mm-hmm. is that brings... I would hire a communist if they were willing to debate somebody with a different viewpoint and be honest about the weaknesses of their own philosophy correct yeah, yeah. one of my best friends is yeah. a communist and he's a famous one in the united states on tiktok he's my age. he's a he's a communist and i love talking to him because mm-hmm. he's willing to talk to anybody about anything and i'm like there's got to be a platform that that's not just like this is for left and this is for the right mm-hmm. but there's no platform that's like that right now i can't yeah. think of a single one but there are platforms that are better than others. Like, for example, yeah. on the conservative side, I really like Ricochet, that whole mm-hmm. network. And it's also like a lot of it is like non-professionals because it's it's a pay-in it's a pay-in community. Okay. So like it's so amazing. Somebody will pop, like write something and then you'll have astrophysicists from <laughs> California yeah. and like a PhD in this from Michigan, like all like yeah. writing in the comments. There's oh, no vitriol. Yeah. It's all like, well, I'm not sure about the stats. Look at this piece of data because yeah. everybody has to pay like $11 a month to just get in there. And you get all these different perspectives. And it's these brilliant people. And so, and yeah. it's kind of center right. And mm-hmm. I, I love it for that reason. Yeah. Now it has some Fox newsy kind of podcasts on its podcast network. Yeah. But like, if you want, non-stupid political conversation right. on the center, right? It's amazing. And, yeah. But like, mm. it doesn't have 50 million people. Like there's not 7 yeah. million people on it every night. And that's, I think the dispatch that, that Jonah Goldberg and um, and French, David French helped start is kind of trying to do some of that. The like not crazy center right kind of stuff. Yeah. I have struggled to find center left stuff. Well, I mean, because um, there's a lack of like the progressive philosophy. Yeah. There's a lack of like, it's all or nothing because there's no like conservatives generally have some sort of like understanding of God. What I have struggled with though is power. I've asked most of my liberal friends, Hey, what's like some like not crazy, like really data oriented center left stuff. Yeah. And there's some think tanks like Brookings Institute is pretty good. Mm-hmm. I think there's some center left think tanks that I think are pretty good. Yeah. But I have not found like good center left news. Yeah. Now on some levels, like some places like the Atlantic, the right, really intelligent articles yeah. But still premise wise, they're still really far to the left. Yes. And and they'll skew some of the data mm-hmm. just because it yeah. has to prove a point. Or- yeah. And I struggle. I, I just can't read stuff like the New York Times, not because I yeah. literally can't read it. It's not because it makes me angry. It's because after the seventh assumption, I just completely disagree with their argument just is nonsensical to me anymore. And why would I read something that has no prayer of persuading me? Yeah. Right. right. Whereas something that's more centrist is trying to like think about how I would think of the world and yes. how they think of the world and negotiate those two together in their yeah. argument. That has a chance of being persuasive. Right. But what I find is that it's real hunt and peck. Like I'll find this article here, this article there, this right. article, to find good center left stuff. Yeah. But I think that 
that's the good news is that that's a market. There's mm-hmm. a market for good center left stuff, mm-hmm. and I think it exists. And it, yeah, and it's like I, so and someone gonna, someone will move into that market. Yeah, you know what I mean. Optive. So that's right. Get ready. Center left. I can see you all over that. <laughs> no, I'm saying I'm talking center left, center right. That that sp- part of the spectrum. I don't think anybody's really like learned how to do that. Yeah. And I have it. I think I have a. But good it's idea it's got to be based on the Christian principle. You're, I'm not going to let you be my enemy. Absolutely. You're, you're not my enemy, even though right. you're saying things that are truly dangerous. I believe. Yeah. If I treat you like my right. enemy, that's actually worse than treating you like a earnest person. Who's Peter trying Jordan to find Peterson truth. versus um, who was a communist. Uh, Zizek, right? Yeah, he said. I think so. That was one of the the one. Like, did you? I didn't watch that one. I watched. It's like three hours. It's long. I I watched like an hour and a half. But it's like it's very good. Obviously, I think Jordan Peterson is just understands the world better, so Mm -hmm. he's makes more sense. But it was extremely respectful, and they they both have an immense amount of respect for each other. Yeah, Zizek is very bright. Yeah, he's a super smart guy, and actually, a lot of what he was saying, like he had a lot of like sin nature. Like he like understood, which is interesting to me about like, like I think mm-hmm. communism is really stupid and I think Marxism is really dumb, mm-hmm. although it does take into consideration at least some sort of human sin nature in the sense that like when you give people something, they're going to just, just try to only make it out. They're going to be selfish, basically. And that's kind of the premise Although it only gives that to a certain type of person, it doesn't really make any sense. Yeah, the, the communism's critique of capitalism has a lot of good points. Yeah, it, the problem is, is that it posits a solution that where the cure is worse than the disease. Yeah, it posits yeah. a solution where it literally creates what it thinks that capitalism is going to create, which is a oligopoly. In a lot of cases, that's yeah. True, yeah. And so it's like that. That doesn't. It's really it's work. just as doomed. Like it's just as doomed as laissez-faire economics. Yeah, you know. Right. And so what that means is like, yeah, we're going to have to have right. some laws. That regular, like that, and, and that's why Jesus believes government is a grace. Yeah. Like if if Jesus believed that uh, that laissez-faire economics, like just sheer free markets, just people do whatever they wanted, anarchy. That yeah, yeah that that he would have said anarchy was the best. Yeah. But he didn't. Right. You know. Yeah. And thank God because yeah. we'd all be dead. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. so yeah, I'm not like an an yeah. anarcho anarcho capitalist or whatever. No. I think that that I think that would be really bad. Would it be as bad as communism? Maybe. I'm yeah. Not sure. It's, it's it's probably would just be equally as as horrible. And yeah. So, so somewhere in between, you got to mm-hmm. find where, where's, yeah. what's going to be the I mean, best. there's a little bit of government mandated redistribution in the Torah, in the Bible, right? Yeah. Like, the, like, the, like you owed certain tithes right. and those were to be given to the poor. Yeah. So that was a redistributional right. program. I mean, that's what we do at church. That's mm-hmm. what we've been doing. Like, that's what the church yeah. should be doing. If you're, your local church is giving money to them and they're helping whoever right. you're, you're. Yeah. It's, it's and not, as a matter of prudence, I yeah. favor privatized charity for yeah. sure. Oh, but yeah. as a matter of like theoretical possibility in the Bible that a government could tax people and give some of that money to those who yeah. are in poverty, that is a possibility in the Bible. I mean, but even right. though the Bible affirms private property everywhere, right. it also affir- affirms the possibility of taxation for the purpose of well, the other thing poverty. that capitalism did was it increased charity like the united states has been well because it makes you more wealthy top three yeah top three most charitable countries in the world for like 60 or 70 Mm -hmm. years or something like that it's yeah and since fdr and the and the new deal um charity charitable giving in the united states has dropped dramatically really yeah because the government we don't have enough to do that the government does it in a profoundly ineffective way and so people have stopped doing it with the money the government takes, which they were yeah. doing in a much more effective right. way. And it's it, really sad. That, yeah, the whole point is that it, like a, whatever government system you use or economic Cause system it, you Because what it, what it demonstrates is is that the United States was in many ways a meritocracy. 
because the people yeah, that were getting yeah. rich were really good at stuff. At stuff yeah. And then when they did charity, they did yeah. it really well. Yeah. Which a lot of liberals right. believe right now because they love like they love Gates, for example, like yes. Bill Gates. Like yes. he got rich because of merit. Like yeah. he did something amazing. Nobody else did. Yeah. And then he then used that intelligence and, and interest in facts and reality and what produces mm-hmm. outcomes mm-hmm. to try to do things in the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Now, right. I think some of the stuff that they've done is is not great, but I think a lot of stuff they've done is like better than nothing. Yeah. You know, right. It, and, I don't think it was dollar for dollar economically yeah. real helpful, but I, right. but the problem is, is we don't know how to help the poor is the, like, right. that's the sad, really sad yeah. truth about like, for example, the millennial initiative. And, and you're never going to find the perfect system that just doesn't exist yeah. because human beings are not negatively. Human somebody. beings aren't bees. Yeah. Like and he, it was funny cause I was reading about capitalism or whatever. And, or I was doing a podcast with my Marxist friend for a while back mm-hmm. and I was doing all this research and I was like, the United States is the very first country in the history of the world that has like ever, had more people die from obesity than from starvation. <laughs> and I was like, that's so perfect because it's like that we, 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 I know if you talk about just, helping the poor in America, you have to deal with obesity, not starvation. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. You, Cause and just, if you've ever seen any of the writing on the deconstruction of the hunger data in America, that like how hungry are the American poor? Like they include a lot of stuff. Like, have you ever felt hungry in the last six months? And you're like, Okay, I felt hungry before lunch. Like, yeah. like some of the way well, those surveys yeah. are worded yeah. are incredibly open, yes. and so they're they're probably right. inflating those numbers a lot. So our hunger numbers are probably lower, and our obesity numbers are probably fairly accurate mm-hmm. because yeah. it's easy to get data on. Yeah, and it's crazy how much obesity is by far the problem among the poor. Now mm-hmm. that that doesn't mean that obesity doesn't come about because of unjust things. Right. Like, I think it is partly cultural, and like like you were saying yeah. before, like black people saying look we just gotta eat better but like there's also the issue of like um policies that make theft easier in inner city communities which Mm -hmm. which increase the prices of products which make grocery stores that have extremely thin razor thin profit margins they just don't want to be in those communities because their profit margins are too thin which means if you have a grocery store they charge too much yeah for people to pay because they have to because of the community costs right or or they go out of business or they don't build there in the first place And so governments are trying to do like big incentives for grocery stores to come in yeah. so that people have access. So I, I think there's merit to some of that stuff. Look, but I also yeah. think that like, man, I would love to give, I'll just say this on the, like on the air, so to speak right now, I'd love to give like a $7,000 grant from my church to like an African American church that was going to put together a food co-op Yeah, that was going to like order food. And then they were going to have people come in mm-hmm. and like separate it all for families and mm-hmm. families pay like 30 bucks a month, yeah. but they're getting like a hundred dollars in groceries and they can, oh, yeah. they can cook better food at home for cheaper. Like I would love to well, partner with a black church and like people would just give food ease. Like, sure. I, like I bet that they, there would be, and like if yeah. you just got like, and there are programs like angel food where you could pay like $30 a month and you get like $120 of yeah. groceries in a box. It's almost all fair, relatively healthy, but it's also all like frozen and prepackaged. So and it's not hard not to cook because yeah. some of the issues in like there was a young woman who went to high point for a while and she was doing a PhD in public yeah. health. And what she was dealing with was the statistics on cooking in poor families Yeah, that literally a lot of people in poor families, they don't know how to cook. They don't know how to cook. Because like, grandma, because, grandma used to cook all yes, the old black right. recipes, mm-hmm. and then she died. And, 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 and it wasn't passed down. Yeah, and, and it, yeah, it wasn't learned. And right. so now it's kind of like, and, and like being a mom and like buying groceries and planning a menu and cooking with that well, menu. There's a bunch of single is actually, mothers. It's actually and, relatively complicated. Like yeah. my wife does it, and our budget for food is enormous. I cannot right. believe how much we spend on food. I'm like, baby. She's like, listen, do you want to eat good right. food? Well, she does it because she can because you And work. she still goes to three yeah. stores yeah. to get deals yeah. and she does all that stuff. And, but still, you've mm-hmm. got to like, like every week if you eat three meals, mm-hmm. right, 
you're planning three times three seven. So that's like, is that, absolutely, that's, that's 21, right? So that's 21 meals for yeah. every week. And like most people, it, like it actually takes a lot of organization yes. and to know what right. costs what at each store. Right. Right. The easiest thing to do is to buy prepackaged food, put it in the microwave and serve it. Mm -hmm. And if you're working a job and you've got two kids and blah, blah, blah. And now those kids have come into taste for that kind of food. Mm -hmm. They don't want to eat the other food. They want to eat the prepackaged pizza, right? Yes, right? And that's not like a black thing. Like um, in Road to Wigan Pier. That's me. Right, exactly. Yeah. Like in Rodewigan Pier, um, who who wrote Animal Farm and wrote that stuff? Uh, George Orwell. So oh, yeah. in Rodewigan Pier, he talks about in in the Britain coal mining industry, you could bring good food to the coal miners and they wouldn't eat it. It would like literally rot. Yeah. You could bring them fresh vegetables. They had come into taste for canned foods and tripe, and that was, that's all they wanted to eat, yeah. and it was killing them. But it's all they wanted to eat. Yeah. And you see that within poverty situations where right. people have been degraded by the by the environment that they've been in. They come into taste for the things that harm their health. So the incentive why do people for smoke? grocery stores, though, mm -hmm. if nobody's going to buy those healthy foods, then why are we giving them incentives? Like like in those communities, mm -hmm. if that's if yeah. they, one, they can't afford so it. So this gets back to conservative principles, the trade-offs, right? Like yeah. we could do stuff to try to get people to eat healthier. Yes. So like if you eat hungry jack potatoes... Mm -hmm. With like milk and those flakes mixed yeah. together with some beef tips with a, with a prepackaged gravy. Right. That's better than McDonald's. You know what I mean? A little bit. Yeah. And there's like, there's like some, depends on what you get. There are some miso soups that cost a yeah. dollar more that you make just as easily as ramen noodles. And it, but it's better for you. It yes. has a lower sodium right. content. Yeah. Right. So, or there are some foods that taste pretty good, but they have, but they've reduced their sugar content by 30%. Yeah. You could start working around these margins within the yes. dietary nature right. of some of these poor communities and yeah. it would make real differences in their health. Yeah. It takes effort though. You yeah. You just have to look at the fine print and yeah. people don't want to go. And also like, just like rec, just like trying to produce rec for kids, like oh, get yeah, them moving. Yeah. They're going to commit fewer crimes because yes. they want to have fun. They want to do crap. They want to get into things yeah. and they just as soon play their buddy in right. basketball on a decent, in a right. decent play area. Well, as they and would learn break something. order and learn right. authority and learn, you know, being part of sports is like, if I wasn't part of sports, I'm already like hate authority. I, there's, I would yeah. hate authority you so much outlet. more. Yeah, I absolutely. And a lot of boys do. We need, yeah, and and the kids who don't get the opportunity to do that, yeah, like you say, they're going into and they're going to go and they're going to join a gang. So here's my anti-white slur for the day: white people ruin sports. Just oh, unmitigated, dude, white, unmitigatedly ruin dude, sports. Dude, high school sports and white communities. Is it's unbelievable. It makes me want to get run over by a car. Like it's, I would rather get hit by a car than go to a high school basketball game because right. the, it is so corrupt. First and foremost, parents are paying coaches like beh behind the closed doors, like paying them insane money That's to get their kid. Really? Like, Bribing? Coaches? Absolutely. Coaches are going school to school and recruiting. Like, that's against the rules. They're uh -huh. recruiting. Parents are paying into the programs extra money, giving the coaches money. It's like, my kid needs to play. Then you have you have a dad who's, like, the, the assistant coach who is only the assistant coach until his kid graduates, and his kid is averaging 14 turnovers a game and eight assists. And you're like, what about that margin? Well, they just get to keep playing because yeah. daddy said so. And so there's no fairness yeah. in who's playing and what. And, right. and okay. So I stipulate all of that. And then I would add that you have to become a professional at like the age nine, yes. right? Like why are sports pro sports program designed to get as many kids out of sports as early as possible, unless they can pay thousands of dollars so that right. we overwork some kids so yes. that we destroy their joints right. over the course of their sports careers. <laughs> yeah. And only 10% yeah. of kids who could play sports actually play them. Yeah. Right. Like I don't think any school should have one basketball team. There should be six basketball teams. You think Most of your seasons should be playing each other. Or should it be like, yeah, ABC, do it. The, or should, like, because well, my gut is you should do a draft. 
and then yeah. and then like play each other for most mm -hmm. of your season mm -hmm. and then yeah for the playoffs do like a dream team let them practice together for a week or two and then have like right. a playoff regional yes, right. but like even like 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 I even hate the fa I hate professional sports. I actually like watching the pa the Packers. Like when I participate in the cultural idolatry, I enjoy it. Yeah. But I would so much rather see I hate most people yeah. play football locally. Like like I get more I used to get more worked up at my daughter's basketball game when she played for here for the Christian school yeah. when they had barely enough players to field the team. It's still just as dramatic yes. to see people kids play against each right. other it's it's a score it's it's yeah. the competition it's like if it's a close game whether it's 10 to 9 right it's still a close game you want to see who wins yeah it turns out that if aaron Rodgers has a chance to throw a 30-yard pass he's going to hit the guy it's going to be reception you move the ball forward like right. it's one of the reasons why watching professional basketball is so boring like i, I don't i don't I was, agree with that but okay yeah. so okay i was i was in a restaurant in the with regular Nicole. season i was in, in, the I was in a restaurant with nicole kyle who yeah. follows the nba you, yes. you know her right yeah. and she said and i just said to her we were talking about something else and i was watching tv and it was showing lebron james um, LeBron James highlights. And I, I said, I said, Nicole, I stipulate that LeBron James may be the best basketball player ever. No, he no. might be Nick. You no, no, just wait, just listen, I know, just wait for it. Wait for the payoff. Okay. Yes. He might be, yeah. I don't know. Right. I cannot think of an athlete I've ever seen play a sport that I find more boring. Mm -hmm. Cause he's such, he's such a physical specimen that no and matter who plays it, defense yeah. on him, it, there's a mismatch. So all he has to do is figure out in his which way is, in which way is this a mismatch yeah. and I'll just do whatever it is and then yeah. I'll just score. Correct. And I just, even watching the highlights on board, it's a, it's, it's yeah. He it's, only does like four things, but he does them really well, right. but it's so boring. But when I watch my kid play basketball, mm -hmm. it's very likely she's going to miss every shot. Yeah. Right. So I'm like, oh my gosh, she's going to miss. It's, oh my gosh. She just went in. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, you know, like right. it's like, and you're right. cheering Making for these kids. Making something seems far more, right. you know, great, I guess. Right. I would kids. love it if we disbanded all professional sports. Really? Right. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers should be playing at like East Green Bay's men's team. And really? he should be thrown to some like drunk guy with a beer belly and everybody should be like <laughs> drinking Labatt's blue on the sideline and having a fantastic time. Everybody playing the sport. Yeah. This whole deal where we watch other people play sports mm. is insane. <laughs> and, and so yeah. and one, one example of this related to poverty, right, is um, one of the schools nearby is not, it's not a poor school, but like a Madison, it's called Memorial High School. It's like just down Madison the street from Memorial, us. Right. Yeah. So one of the things that the cross country coach did some years ago is he's like, I don't give a crap about winning. My goal is to get as many, he's the girls cross country coach. Yeah. To get as many girls in the school to run. That's it. That's my goal. Yeah. And they don't win a lot of state championships or anything like yeah. that. And they're not even that competitive at the higher levels, but, a bunch of people but they have run. more girls running than any other Anybody sports else. program. Yeah. And my response to that as an athletic director is how can I find somebody like that to coach all, all sports? the sports? Yeah, exactly. And, but the problem is that there's no incentive for that. Like, like I guess right. some no, parents are no going to get mad because they, because, because some parents are going to have a physical specimen of a kid and they want that kid to get a full scholarship to college and they're going to hate that. And you're like, and you're like, okay, listen, well, the athletic that's what clubs are for. The athletic director also <laughs> needs to make money. Like that, like if, if your team isn't winning and there's no reason to come and watch because they suck. Like I've, I've been in empty, empty gyms for high school basketball where it's like, I don't care about that. Well, I know you, just don't. Tell you I don't care about that. Well, I know you don't, but that's the money. Talks. I think, I think that sports, if they are done in schools, are a academic program. They are about the development of children. That's what they're about. If you do them in a school, yeah. now listen, I'm okay with what about hyper? I'm okay with like clubs, yeah, having their own stadiums or even renting school school yeah, like gyms AAU and having and like having like their own league yes. where you guys are semi professional right. playing in high school. Totally, that's yeah. fine. That's just the free market. And if people want to pay seven thousand yeah. dollars a kid a year, I don't right. care. Yeah. In the school that you pay for, I, as a it's about yeah. the development of children. Right. 
for the public in general, I want yeah. as many kids playing sports and moving their bodies as possible. Yeah. As many as possible. That makes sense. And then, yeah, have a whole nother market for sports. Yes, right. And That's then have a whole idolatrous right. market for professional sports. Right. I don't give a crap. Yeah. But in the public schools right. or in school, in my right. Christian, private right. Christian school, right. as many kids move their bodies as yeah. possible, play sports and learn what sports can teach you. Yeah. Because well, sports have lessons to teach you yeah. that have nothing to do with winning. They have to do with being a good teammate, yeah. not letting your team yes. down. And not giving up even when you're losing. Like right. That, right. Having honor, listening to authority, yeah. resiliency, right? right? Like failing and then trying again two yeah, seconds right, later. Right. Like going yeah, down, shooting right. a shot, missing, right. feeling the crap, but really right. like you have to transition defense right now. There's no time to and have self pity. It's just the thing that, that goes back to shame. It's right. like if you I, lose, that shouldn't produce self hatred. Losing should produce a desire to want to change what right. you've done previously. Right. And to what, win. what is more like life? successes and, and periodic failures or constant failures with periodic successes. Right. Well, obviously constant failures with periodic successes. Which is what sports, which is what's so uh, attractive to sports and to right. people. Right. And it's yeah. subjective in sports. You succeed or fail. Yeah. You shoot the basket, right. you either make it or you didn't. Right. Right. In baseball, one of my friends is like, the reason why I have my kids in baseball, even though it's a boring sport mm -hmm. is because when you bat, it's just you. Yeah. It's not you and your team. It's just right. you. Either you hit the ball or you fail to hit the ball. Right. And you fail most of the time. Yeah. He's like, I can't think of a better thing for the development of the emotions of my kids. Right. Right. And I was like, yeah. huh. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So I, I think that, so this gets back to like issues of politics and policy and mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. Well, I like, want to say one thing real quick. Uh, NBA playoffs are I, better than everything I, else. Sometimes I do. Regular season. Watching is, professional basketball players actually try is yeah. refreshing. Right. And like the finals and the, and, and the playoffs. I mean, I, the regular season, 82 games. But I am, I, I hate, here's why I hate watching professional basketball, sometimes even in the playoffs. I watched the the Bucks win because the, I, the Bucks are here. Yeah. They're ours. Yeah. And I like the idea that they were kind of a little Cinderella-ish. They weren't really expected to win. And Giannis win. literally is like the Cinderella guy. He was yeah. from Greece. And he, was, yeah. he had to like share his basketball shoes with his two brothers growing up. Like they yeah. would switch off and practice because yeah. they didn't have shoes and stuff. Right. So yeah. So, yeah, so like uh, there's a certain part of the story of that and the fact that the Bucks are mine. I live in Wisconsin yeah. and they're mine, yeah. right, um, that I liked. But – I, the because people are so good in basketball, the professionals are so good right. that everything is such a cold equation about what's done that it makes the game really uninteresting and unimprovisational in my book. Yeah, and so I mean, especially LeBron's teams because it's like him and three point shooters, right? Yeah. But like you, know, like I can tell you exactly yeah. what's going to happen on basically every possession. And then it's a cold equation of who scores 10 more points than the other. Mm -hmm. And I just don't find that interesting. Mm -hmm. I'd rather watch Indian Kibati and like watch people tackle each other. That does seem to have to do in the NBA a lot, a lot more with like recent ruling rules, rule changes. Because in the nineties and eighties, there was some different type of, Oh, I totally enjoyed it in the nineties. It was so much better. I, I was growing up only really my dad, would but it was watch. much less sophisticated. That's the whole, the whole point was there was so much more mystery to it because it was yeah. like, now it's it is it is so like corporate. It's like it's this weird like machine. It's, well, it's basket. It's, it's it's baseball money ball applied right. to basketball. It's like what are the two percent advantages and yes. blah, blah blah that we can get here? Yeah, there. analytics. That, that yeah, was, and it's not it's not passion. Right. And oh like, yeah, it was like Jordan dropping like forty seven points with the flu in the finals. Mm -hmm. That's not going to happen anymore because you don't want to risk next season if you have the flu. Now it could affect something if you play, and so they're not going to play in the game now. And it's like if Kobe's got a torn Achilles, he's not going to go take the, those two free throws nowadays that he did back in 2000 and even like 13 or 14 like these now that they're, they're calculating all these things it's mm -hmm. like tim duncan's gonna sit out at the end of the season because you got to get him ready for the playoffs which means that the last 14 games for the spurs is going to be terrible to watch yeah. and they they're going to give up a seed in 
the playoffs, but right. they're still going to play a pretty crappy team, so they're going to make it to the next round. Yeah. And, I mean, but some of that stuff I would do if I was the coach. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> they're trying to win. But, and I don't want to take away from the passion of the players. Like, it's, yeah. like, it's clear that those players are, like, playing their guts out. Yeah. In those. So I'm not saying that, like, they they're don't bad care. people yeah, or they something. They don't care. care. They're, yeah. they're, in fact, when I say I, I find it boring, it's, it's not because they're so bad. It's because they're so good. Yeah. Like, a guy's open for a shot, he's just going to make right. it. Right, you know, and so like Steph Curry just every three pointer he shoots. It, in the beginning, when he, his career started, it was like, "Holy cow, we've never seen anybody make all of this." And now we're like nine. I years can't believe in. he missed. Yeah, and yeah. You're like, like wait, he went, he went like nine for ten. Like, no, he should have gone ten for ten because. Yeah. And every time he shoots, it, it is still cool to see, but it's like that's definitely going in, yeah. and that's why they just don't lose. Like that's why the Warriors just don't lose because these <laughs> Steph Curry just doesn't miss, and he's become. Yeah. A machine in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. And so my, my issue. Okay, yeah. so this gets back to like to bring this back to Christian faith. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I would say this. If I wasn't a Christian, I would not look at the whole sports thing and think it was ridiculous. Yeah, I, I would just be like, yeah, it's life. It's the same people do it. I, I, but like when I when I look at what is valued in life. Yeah, what Jesus values, right? And then I, I, I think, what would Jesus say if I was like, so what do you think about the whole national sports complex in America? You'd probably say it's barbaric. Yeah, he, I think he would just be like, I gave those people such physical gifts, and they're using it, and they basically have professionalized leisure. Yes, and people spend their money to watch them. Yeah, do it, and that's why I think there's some sort of political or like just hardship, like. Like capitalism producing just no problem. Not it doesn't produce no problems, but in these types of things where it's like, yeah, you can make two hundred million dollars by throwing a ball into a, a hoop. It's like that's there has to like it feels like something's been taken away from us. Mm-hmm. That's like just the human like historical hardship of being alive, like mm-hmm. working the fields, like making sure you have food to bring home to your, now I have $200 yeah. million. And even for me, like myself as a 22 year old, like I, I don't have to worry about having food ever. I've never worried about having food. Like right. we didn't have food a lot. Like we were poor growing up, but it was like, yeah. I didn't have to worry. I was going to die. Yeah. Throughout human the, history. The elimination of die. existential crises has created a meaning crisis. There's no yes. question about and that. And now what do I do? Right now, now I'm just like here, <laughs> like, and it's, what's the other book? It's not 1984, but it's the other one. Um, that was the exact out. 1984 was like taking away everything. Brave New World. Brave New World. It's like giving everybody all their pleasures, mm-hmm. and that's the opposite. That's like kind of what right. And it creates a meaning crisis. It creates, you don't know what you're supposed to right. do. It's so. And this so, one creates a, a meaning. The crude crisis. version was in the original Matrix, right, where the the robots say, you know, we tra- like we we try to create a perfect world. Yeah. And humans couldn't compute it. Like yes. pe- people like th- people just like they couldn't believe it, and it destroyed whole crops of humans, right? Yeah. And it's just kind of like. W- Humans are longing for an existential crisis. It's like we're pre-programmed for right. it, and you give people all this crap, and they sit, they start complaining about things that aren't even bad. The you know? the, the the meaning used to be in attaining, them, like trying to surviving. get those things and surviving, yeah. and now surviving is just it's almost like I I just it's just you know I don't think about surviving. It just is what I. Right. So have. what so what do you focus on? Like yeah. what is the core of the meaning? of And your you life? gotta find right. something. So people find a bunch of weird stuff. They find basketball. They find music. They find like these luxuries that like. Like you used to have, like now the music music scene is saturated because everybody makes music and puts it on SoundCloud on the internet, and it's a bunch of crappy music. And now it used to be like, music used to be like, if you were a fantastic musician, the king would pay you, and then you would go and play for the king, and everybody knew you because the king recognized you. Now, if you think that you could possibly make something that sounds like music, you can just put it out there and. For yeah. some reason, some of that stuff is getting famous, and I don't understand yeah. that. that yeah, I mean, on some level, I mean, yeah, more artistry. I like that. 
you know, so I, I like more artistry. I don't like I don't like what that produces, though. Like the, like the oversaturation produces worse art because because some people should be pursuing other things with their gifts. Yes. Yeah, I think and, that's true. That like so everybody wants to be the special person. Yes. Right. So, so yeah, the ex exaltation of celebrity. I think yeah, is the yeah. the root of the evil here. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Our own yeah. vanity and yeah. how our vanity affects what we do with our gifts and yes. our stewardship. Yeah. And I do think that's a huge problem. I right. think, I mean, I, TikTok is maybe the worst abuser of that, but yeah. like human beings to, to say, I could be this thing of more mm. notoriety, yeah. but the right use of my life is to do this less notable thing right. that is inherently good that everybody will forget about or never know about. Yeah. You know, like there are people who are saving the world that you've never heard their names. Right. Right. And we can all say, we all know all LeBron James name, you know, or Taylor yeah, Swift's name. Yeah. You know what right. I mean? And, and then they, then LeBron James and Taylor Swift become, they, they're so, there's so much pressure on them to basically like LeBron James will speak out against racial injustice, right. but then They'll he'll speak really up for stuff. China. Yeah. So you're like, they become these, these weird yeah. or Taylor Swift will get really weird about her feminism about feminism. Yeah. And you're like, dude, like, dude, you're making so you probably don't struggle at all. Like, I'm sorry, Taylor Swift, if you're never going to listen to this, but yeah. you, LeBron, you have never actually left your house thinking white people were hunting you. I'm going to hunt you down. That, you. that never actually. No, happened. actually the white people are paying you 200 million. Like if you walk out of your house and white people, white people are hunting you with pens and paper to get yes. your autograph. Is yes. what, what's happening? Right. Yeah. They're like, a they're obsessed with you. They wear your yeah. Jersey. They talk about yeah. you all the time for some reason, because he's not, a I know he probably five. feels like, yeah, but I'm like a big guy. And if somebody didn't know who I was like, and I'm not saying like what he's saying is totally crazy. <coughs> right. I'm sure that he is going to It's just hard to take it from him specifically because of his, just, his yeah, I think particular this, circumstance. I think in his bubble, he felt like saying black men are being hunted felt right for him to just say generally. As a representation when in fact, of it's false. what a lot of black people yeah. probably feel. And he feels like I have the platform, so I'm going to say this because I feel like they want me to say it. But yeah. then it does seem... Right. But he hasn't studied his whole life to speak truth and wisdom in a culture. Right. He didn't because, even go to college. Cause it's, and it turns out that it's his vanity. Right. It, like we're like it's not just his vanity; it's our vanity. Yeah, that makes us listen to him when we right. should say, "Man, we love it when you play basketball." Right, right. And, and it's not that he doesn't get to think and talk; right. no, he does. Right, right. But we just don't. We should just weigh it. Yeah. We we should listen to him. I mean, he yeah. says that we can listen. To him. We should just weigh it lightly. Like, does yeah. LeBron know if well, if the LeBron's going to tell me about hunting. how to do something in basketball? Mm -hmm. I'm going to listen up way more. Like if Kobe Bryant, these guys are going to say, "Here's here's this offense or this defense, and this is how this reaction." Like, <clears> then okay. you should listen up. <clears throat> Any other and yeah, or if LeBron said, "Hey, I've been talking to this really great black scholar at Harvard who yeah. has studied police interactions, right. and he says that um, black men are more likely to be the victims of non-lethal force yeah. than white people under similar circumstances, based on his study of more than a million cases in New York." Then I'd be like, yeah. "Oh, so like now he's using his position right to give a voice to somebody who he who has good reason to believe as much." Yeah, yeah. like I, I think that that would probably would have been better. if I was his publicist. Yeah. I think I would have said, hey, LeBron, let's do something like this. But the problem you is know? that that's not going to give LeBron the attention and the credit. And so like it, yeah. when it comes to like capital and making LeBron money and him kind of like bowing to the corporate whatever, the wokeness. Like, stuff. The wokeness I yeah, do think the China the thing money. is big. I mean, China, it's China is affecting a lot of folks in terms of what they feel like they can say. Well, it does show people's character. We I should talk lot. about slavery at some point on this podcast because I've been trying to figure out, is there a legitimate way to do, to have a good economy without the exploitation of somebody else? And if you're going to explain... The United States, your Nikes. Not if you want really cheap consumer goods. Right. Yeah. Your Nikes come from like eight year olds in China who are probably right. going to die next week. And nobody really cares because we're separated by oceans. And so mm -hmm. we don't really care about them. But 
like, what if we took the people who were imprisoned and forced them to work as like, I don't want to say slaves, but in a slavery type way, the way that like you, you, you worked and paid off the way that the Jews did. You paid off. I think you'd have to be certain of the justice of our legal system more than we are right now. Yeah. Because right now our legal system is so embedded in who has money, who doesn't to defend themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So we'd end up creating a system of slavery for the poor. Yes. Who probably committed crimes. But isn't that naturally going to play out regardless? Like the poor just going to take the. I don't think we should say it's going to happen regardless relative to slavery. Right. Like I think I, I think well, so committing crime. I do think I, what I would like to see happen is that there for there to be like an earning system yeah. that if you're in prison, you can earn time off by doing something that is for the public good. Yeah. Like picking up trash or removing invasive species. Yeah. And, and we won't we won't force you to do it. Your sentence is still X number of years, seven or eight yeah. years. But if you do these things and you actually contribute to society rather than yeah. take from it, you could be outdoors or you can do these things. Right. And they're not going to be they're not going to be horrifically degrading kinds right. of things, but they're going to be work. Right. And I, I think doing that rather than just having people lifting weights in the yard is probably better. Yeah. So I think that there's, I would love to see some <laughs> mechanism by which um, people in prison have the capacity to do things that are good for the society and that we give them benefits for it. Yeah. Um, including, I would, I would even include for some felonies that if people did enough work in prison, that their felony would be expunged or yeah. decreased to a misdemeanor so that they wouldn't sure. be felons. Like I, I could see some systems. The problem is those, those questions are so politicized yes. that it's hard to come up with. You like, can't even have a conversation about it. Cause like, like, like uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez tweeted something about bail reform. Literally the same week, a guy got off on a thousand dollars bail and drove an SUV into a crowd of people. In, right. In Waukesha. In Waukesha. Yeah. Right. So like on one level, but here's the thing, um, Sarah Isger and David French on their podcast the week before said that, we're talking, we're talking with a public dependent. All these people are Republicans. And he was saying he's a Tennessee public defendant. He's saying bail reform is really necessary Yeah, because there are issues with bail reform where too much is being asked for some people and they're serving their whole sentence before their trial even happens. And it really is profoundly unjust. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think AOC should have tweeted that literally the week that somebody got off on a thousand dollar bail and killed a bunch of people. Right. I think that that was really foolish yeah. and, and like unacceptably naive. But I also think like her talking point Mm -hmm. that some Democrats believe that there are ways in which bail should be reformed Mm -hmm. is probably correct. And there's bipartisan agreement on that. Right. That 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 the system of of. But now uh, her playing that out politically in a stupid way is going to make it just so yeah, much that, harder now, for her to get now, anything passed. Now I guarantee you, fifteen percent more Republicans yeah. are against it. They're they're and they're then they're not going to compromise on it for at least a year, yeah, if, if not more. And if she, and she should, I mean, she should just tuck that away for a month. All she had to do, all she had to do is tuck it away for a month. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then say it. So, I, I think Christian faith should make us more prudent about that stuff. That's yeah. all. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So. All right, well, then I'll just wrap this stuff up and I'll, I'll do it for several